0: Hello, and welcome to the FD Advisor podcast. This month, the wealth management sector has been digesting the news that Rathbones and Investec Wealth and Investment are merging, creating a UK based discretionary wealth manager with 100 billion of assets under management. The rising cost of regulatory requirements, as well as the downward pressure on fees, has increased competitiveness in the market and prompted a number of consolidations. So this new and large group expects to save around £60 per year in costs through both the consolidation of technology platforms, operations and an increase in net income. So what does this mean for the UK wealth management sector? I'm Sally Hickey, Chief Reporter at FT Advisor, and here with us today is Nick Hutton, Head of BlackRock's UK Client Business for Retail iShares and Wealth. Thanks, Nick, for coming. Welcome. Pleasure.
1: Thanks for having me, Sally.
0: So... Just to start off with this deal, what are your initial thoughts on this tie up between Rathbones and Investec?
1: Well, I I think it's, you know, the tie up is synonymous with like the really rapidly changing face of the UK wealth uh, savings and investments market. I think we've always, we kind of see this consolidation theme really playing out. It It was almost a year I think um, almost exactly a year ago when the announcement of Royal Bank of Canada and Bruin Dolphins tie up, um, we've seen this almost like this scramble for scale going on. I think you highlighted at the beginning the fee pressure, regulatory pressure, margin pressure, digitalization. And in a market that we have that's really fragmented, and when I, when I say fragmented, Banks don't own distribution in the UK, whereas if you look at the continent, banks really own distribution. So with a fragmented market as such that we have here, it makes it, one, I think, a very attractive a market, which, you're, which is why you're seeing a lot of external investment, whether that be from private equity funds, whether it be from North American companies, you know, such as Royal Bank of Canada. And I think, you know, this is the latest in what will be, and there will be more, um, And I think there'll be consolidation across the value chain. And this is the latest sign that our market is changing, our market is moving and and that um, and that there is a, a strong belief that scale players are going to have an opportunity to really influence the savings and investments market um, in the years ahead so I think it's uh, I think it's really exciting um, it'll be really interesting to see how the two groups come together. Um, they obviously have a very broad national footprint they have fantastic brands they've got good leadership teams so um, yeah I think it's exciting for our market and I think, again, it just it shines a spotlight on the UK, um, which I think can only be a really good thing.
0: You mentioned um, private equity, and I guess there are, we've seen two different types of deal, this consolidation deal between two groups coming together and then the private equity buyouts. Given what has happened in markets in the past year, do you anticipate a slowing down of these private equity deals, given that liquidity is is probably going to be a lot harder for them to come by?
1: Um There may be a bit of a slowdown, but will it totally stop? I don't think so. Um, I think that there's still quite a lot of dry powder out there, number one. I think also, um, to my point about the fragmented nature of our markets, the high levels of cash savings in banks, the... Um, The fact that the banks don't obviously own distribution, as I mentioned, I think that this market is still attractive for deals. And yes, obviously, the liquidity picture has changed, but I still think there is opportunity in our market that will attract private equity money.
0: And on your point on on this distribution that that the new and large group will have across the UK are there any drawbacks on this you know a commentator said the other day that it will make it harder for smaller funds to get off the ground do you see any negatives coming out of these sort of super groups uh,
1: coming out No I think the I think one of the big um the big not ch- well challenges and opportunities for probably the combined group is how they embed technology sufficiently to be able to operate, you know, almost seamlessly kind of from the back office to the front office, as in, you know, creating kind of this seamless data set from the back to the front will actually will ultimately, I think, be for the benefit of, of, of savers in the UK.
0: It sounds like the tech, um, the sort of tech proficiency of, of asset managers and wealth managers is what's going to really define those who succeed in the next decade and those who don't. The sort of the big companies that have these legacy issues with their tech stack, that seems like that's going to be a big problem.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I think everybody sees this like perfect or tries to understand this perfect like digital nirvana and it's the flashy front-end app that is click click through or you can you know call your facetime your advisor or but actually you know the really hard part is is actually fixing as you mentioned you know what can be quite complicated legacy technology stacks into one kind of seamless operating model um, so yes it is Challenge, but it also I think provides the great opportunity and it's not just the nirvana that we think about it's actually the harder part is fixing that kind of the back and middle um, but yeah as I mentioned I think the the opportunity on getting that right will will be able you'll be able to generate and achieve scale far more efficiently um, so it's it's almost kind of the tissue paper that that holds. Um, holds a lot of the trends that are forcing kind of change and creating change in our market together and actually it also is probably one of the if you speak to any of the CEOs who in our market who have gone through big technology projects or transformational projects you know it is number one probably the hardest decision they make because it typically costs a lot of money um, it doesn't have to cut cost a lot of money but but it typically can do these are multi-year, sometimes multi-year projects. Um, and, you know, you've got to really stay the course. So it's one of the hardest decisions for CEOs, but it can be, I believe, one of the most beneficial. And actually, I think it will be one of the key determinants between the winners and losers in the market.
0: So to, to move on to BlackRock, you know, it's known for being Um, It's known for its passive offerings. And I'm wondering what place you see passives in portfolios in this new sort of market we're heading into.
1: It's... um it it kind of makes me laugh hearing the word, hearing the word passive so the uh i've spent 20 years of my career at Merrill Lynch and, uh, and BlackRock uh, who acquired Merrill Lynch in 2006 and there was a large chunk of it where it was kind of this like active versus passive debate and you know that's kind of like this 20th century outdated um outdated kind of term i feel now and almost like passive kind of sounds like this automated like investment management concept, which, you know, for me, every single decision to invest in a passive instrument, as you you describe it, Sally, or index investment is an active decision. So every single decision to invest in a passive instrument is an active decision. So I think if you if you start with that basis, they kind of you see that I, you know, I certainly believe as um, as portfolios and investment propositions evolve here in the UK, which they will have to do, you know, we've gone through a 10-year bull market, ultra-low yields, and now with not only are investors faced with, like, this new, new regime or market volatility, they they have to navigate clients' portfolios not only through today's macro challenges but also really focus on how do they think about um, strategic and tactical asset allocation for the years ahead. And I think indexing has a really core part to play in the future of portfolios. Um, I think Today, I think we estimate that index investments make up 10 to 15% of wealth portfolios. Um, and it's probably taken, if you think from the RDR 10 years ago to get to that level, you know, it's my. You know, I think that the levels of index investments in portfolios double in the next five years. So they take half the time to get to, um, to get. You know, to to double the assets again. So yeah, so I think it doubles in half the time it's taken to get to where we've got to today. If that, <laughs> if that makes sense. Sorry, quite a strong, long-winded uh, uh, answer to your question. Well, it's
0: interesting. Uh, there has been. It's interesting you're sort of not using the word passive because it, it sounds, things like ESG as well, it sounds like the, the terminology can al- can almost be a bad thing for what it's trying to promote. And there has been, especially in the past couple of months, there's been a bit of kickback against, you know, index non-actively stock-selected, or not stock-selected, but, but non-actively selected funds, saying that in, in the past 10 years, you know, the rising tide of low interest rates has sort of pulled all asset classes up, and that in the next decade... This may not be the case and it will mean that those people who have held passives thinking, oh, they have done so well in the past 10 years, I'm bound to have that return again are actually not going to do as well and now is the time for active, active. Um, I, I'd say stock selection because I guess active actually funds the, the bigger part. What are your thoughts on that?
1: So quite a few questions wrapped up in that <laughs> uh, which I'll try and answer. Um, so, so first and foremost um, today's today is not about single product or security selection like that is a 10 years ago your investment portfolio whether you were doing it yourself or via your financial advisor or even wealth manager would probably be well certainly if I was thinking about you know, my own meager investment portfolio, it was an amalgamation of single line products or securities that I had bought over the course of the years and had just kind of put together, typically in an Excel spreadsheet that had 23 lines. And there was no... There was no appreciation of how all of those individual building blocks interacted with each other to try and achieve the outcome that my savings and investments are trying to <clears throat> trying to um, um achieve for me you know. But now the conversation is not about single-line product or security cell. It is all about the total portfolio or the whole portfolio as we describe it at BlackRock. And that is really understanding what all of these different products together you know, achieve. How do they act together? Does one neutralize another out? What's your sector exposure? What's your currency exposure? How, how, um, how weighted are you to the US dollar? and actually as portfolio construction technology has massively increased so has the ability to actually understand how all of these products interact i'm coming i'm coming to the answer to your question no
0: it's a really interesting point on the tech side because i can imagine that is something that that has had to happen to give your overall exposure say to the US dollar which is something that the investors just didn't have both retail it's, and yeah.
1: and and i think there are you know we have a extraordinarily strong fintech Uh, industry here in the UK and you know we're we're lucky that a a lot of that kind of uh, financial technology does get into obviously our industry and portfolio construction technology is one of those uh, is one of the kind of the beneficiaries but in your so it's all about portfolios it's not about products so if you take that as kind of like point one which then means to your question about well ten year bull market passes have done index has done very well or passes have done very well what does that mean for the future the future is the portfolio it's not the product so you have to as you think about you know what you're trying to achieve what's your intended risk what's your unintended risk there has been such a vast amount of innovation from actually, from asset managers in terms of product development, um, that there is now a huge amount of product to populate your asset allocation thesis. And and remember, like returns are driven by asset allocation. So the building block or the underlying product, whether that's an index product or an alpha product, or even potentially a private markets, um, uh, a private market product. You know, it's it's about how all of these building blocks interact together to create the whole portfolio to try and achieve the outcome that you're trying to.
0: And, oh, and thank you for answering sort of five questions. Rolled no problem. Wasn't you're, really, you're really
1: trying to confuse <laughs> me, but I think we got there.
0: Okay, an easy one this time. Um, or maybe not an easy one. ETFs seem to be incredibly popular in the US and Europe, but not so much in the UK market. What, is that true and, and why is that, do you think?
1: Um, yes, that is definitely the case today. Um, the UK has a very large index mutual fund market. A very well understood index mutual fund market um, is one. And, and, you know, post-RDR platforms, so um, fund platforms... Are really kind of the central nervous system for probably where half of the managed assets flow in the UK wealth market, and though those platforms were built, their technology was built to support index mutual fund and mutual fund um, uh, products rather than um, more um, uh, the um, e- more ETF and fractional trading, etc. Um, so, so that's one part. So, index mutual fund market number one. Platforms and platform technology had been predicated more on the index mutual fund. I think there's also a large educational piece actually here in the UK. Um, I think it's actually the responsibility of asset managers such as BlackRock and others that do have um, index businesses um, to actually educate on the benefits of, of the ETF vehicle and the wrapper. Um, so there's definitely an education piece. Um, Our market, so that was point three, point four. um, There is a really strong model portfolio community that's been growing, that's typically been driven by advisor outsourcing post-RDR so advisors could focus on financial planning, tax inheritance, like the core competency of their business, typically. And they've outsourced the investment management piece. And typically, that's in the form of a wrapped or an unwrapped um, model that we we call them at BlackRock. And if you're rebalancing those models, typically ETFs today still carry um, commission when you trade them. So the cost of a rebalance might seem um, uh, optically high. Now, I think all of those... Have been issues in the past. They're not issues that exist in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. actually has a a very big um, uh, has has probably a lot stronger investing culture, um, and we uh, we 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 sometimes describe it as kind of like tickers at school gates, like ETF tickers at school gates. But there is a if you think that the digital investing um, market in the U.K. and self-directed investing and digital wealth. Market is actually probably the fastest growing segment of the UK wealth market today. Um, And it's probably worth about 300, 350 billion in managed assets. In the US, that number's over 5 trillion. So there is, I mean, obviously, you're talking about a lot greater um, um, audience um, or investor community, uh, given the population size. But there's definitely more of a culture of investing, ETF, um, commission free trading, understood. Um, investors are well educated on their ease the transparency the price the efficiency of trading um, but um, but with all of those points I, I, I think if we do this podcast in two years time I think a lot of a lot of those points that I've just mentioned will be alleviated I think that um, there is Great movement in terms of um, underlying platform technology. I think there is a there is a, a lot faster, um, a lot f- uh, a lot greater um, portals for education on not just financial investments, but you know, ha- and on ETFs on the vehicle on how. Um, how they can actually democratise investing for millions of people, given um, uh, given the ease and access. Uh, so, I, and you know, we'll wait and see on the commission piece. But uh, I, I think the 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 EMIA index market has grown three times since two thousand and sixteen. Um, stands, I think, probably about two and a half trillion dollars today. By twenty twenty seven, I believe that'll be north of four and a half trillion dollars. I think. UK is set to go through a, a period of great acceleration in index investing. And I think ETFs will be at the heart of that.
0: What are investors missing out on? What do ETFs give you that an index kind of tracker wouldn't? Uh,
1: the, 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 the big difference in my eyes between the index mutual fund market and the ETF market is the absolute rampant innovation and exposure that ETFs can give you. The breadth and depth you can go into um in terms of sector exposure or thematic exposure or 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 factor exposure even is so broad and you know we're committed to innovation at Blackrock. I know many asset managers are you know committed to it, innovating products to help clients populate their their investment portfolios and that that breadth and depth of being able to express your your investment view or your asset allocation view is is so broad, it, it, especially in a world where the the realization that savings and investments is your responsibility. The you know the government from the from the government to the corporate to yourself, and obviously we, we saw that a great deal when during COVID a huge spike in self directed platform um, new clients as people paid off non credit card debt. And really started to focus on their finances and that and actually portals like YouTube and TikTok where people where you're able to get out information about savings and investments and saving for your retirement and the retirement being your responsibility. I think that all of those things will lead to um, not only a better savings and investments culture, but also people will and investors in the UK will will see um, see the ETF, I think, and it's how you can express your views and your investment views and preferences as as an investment instrument that will be, um, will be in preference.
0: Are there too many products in the market? Is it too, you know, I'm wondering, just thinking of all this social media education, if I was an investor going, you know, I've, I've paid off my student loan, I've paid off my student debt, my mortgage is looking okay, I'm going to start investing... Where on earth are people meant to start?
1: It, look, it's it's uh, it's a fantastic question, Sally. Um, and look, education is is absolutely key. I think the sooner we can educate, you know, children, teenagers, adults, busy professionals, whichever category you fall into, the better. I mean, in terms of choice, I actually, you know, like I. I I believe, look, like BlackRock, we're committed to giving investors choice. Like, I, I think, um, I think that that choice piece is 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 really important to keep on innovating, keep on providing investors with with uh, with choice. Um, but the educational pieces, the educational piece is huge. And actually, there are there are we are an industry who like to talk in the Greek alphabet for how we kind of like returns on on your investments and in there are so many different actors in not only the industry but outside the industry that we need to bring closer and bring on that path because education is is, is certainly a big barrier and I think if we can get through that then I actually think um if firms that are committed to, cho- you know, I think com- committing to choice and committing to innovation and con- committing to evolving is um will be for the, for the benefit of the saver and investor here.
0: Mm. And we and we do say this on the day that the FCA has partnered with, I believe, a Love Island former contestant to uh, increase financial education on TikTok. Which, embarrassingly, everyone in the office had to Google because we didn't know who she was. But it's a valid point that that these things, I guess, need to speed up a
1: bit I in, did in not actually know that <laughs> and I cannot wait to when this podcast wraps to look that up give it a google <laughs> but but you know look I'm I'm all for um us trying to to uh improve the understanding and education um to to benefit people's long term financial future
0: so something BlackRock has been in the news in a about a lot recently is this this issue of fiduciary duty in whether when you're running money for people especially when you're running it in passive or or sort of index non-actively selected funds whether it is BlackRock's responsibility to uh, lobby on behalf of investors uh, to companies boards for ESG topics so you know environmental and um, sustainability things and the industry seems very split on whether this should be uh, asset managers and wealth managers' uh, responsibility, and there's also to do another three questions in one. There's also the questions question of whether investors really care. So I'm wondering what your thoughts on this are, and what kind of feedback you get from from the investors themselves on how important this is to them.
1: Okay, I'm really enjoying these like three, four questions in one. I should really keep on a your pen. Dates. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay, so so let me let me try and break this down. So at BlackRock. As an asset manager, we are stewards of our client's capital, like clients give us almost like units of trust. So it to me makes perfect sense that as a fiduciary, we analyze all aspects of a the risks and opportunities of the companies that we invest in for our clients. Now, many of those are really well understood, like the financial, you know, financial metrics or risks, like rate risk, uh, you know, credit risk, rate risk, inflation, macro. All of those are really well understood risks that you would expect the steward of your assets to be thinking about when evaluating a company's long term prospects. So, f- for me and for BlackRock, evaluating e- factors that associate to ESG is a prudent and and I, th- I think the you know the right thing to be doing in evaluating a company's long-term prospects if we're going to be investing that money on behalf of the client's mandate. So, uh, with that when we engage with companies we look at kind of five kind of key engagement pieces and three are actually governance it's like the what's the quality what's the quality of the board like how are incentives aligned what is their what is their strategy like so all three governance and then the, the other two are climate Climate that obviously relates to the e you know climate risk is an investment risk and it is prudent that we that we evaluate those risks on behalf of our clients who have given us their money uh, and then the social you know what kind of impact on on your people does your company have so for me as you know we manage money on behalf of clients they entrust us with their capital we are stewards of that capital it is only prudent to evaluate all types of risks that can affect the long-term prospects of the company so Those Those are Those were were answers to two of your questions.
0: And then, how much do people care? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, So, last year in the UK funds market, it was uh, like most markets, uh, mutual fund markets across the world, was was pretty brutal. Um, Yet, the one of the category, or I don't know how many categories, were actually in positive territory, but ESG or sustainable labeled products were in net inflow. So I think over the last 5 years in the UK market um sustainable labeled products or ESG labeled products have gathered 50 billion pounds worth of assets whilst non ESG labeled products are out to the tune of 250 billion. So even in a year like last year there is still demand for for uh, products and and actually like your, do, do investors care? So investors care. I'm not going to say all investors care, because you know that would be wrong. But you know, sustainable investing is is absolutely here to stay. I think 50 percent of our ETF flow, all of our ETF flow last year. Went into sustainable, sustainable labelled or ESG labelled products. You know, on the continent, twenty percent of the wealth market is invested now in, in sustainable products. In the UK, it's about seven percent of managed assets. There is one direction that that is going, and that that is up. Um, the the key piece, though, Sally, and this is what BlackRock and um, you know uh, other asset managers here in the UK have got to do is we've got to. We've got to make it more simple. We've, we've got to, and look, we, we really, uh, um, you know, we really applaud and, and you know, appreciate um, the FCA's kind of, t- you know, taking time to really think about SDR, think about the different kind of journeys that people are on in sustainable investing from screening out certain types of pro- um, companies to investing in -in best-in-class companies to investing in impact companies and even companies that will invest in the transition to a net zero economy um you know the appreciation that there are many different products and different ways to uh and and journeys that people are on but you know sustainable investing is 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 certainly here to stay it is um it is um it's going to be an absolute key feature of the market not everyone uh to your point, you know, cares, I think you said, but we see uh, a lot more people really wanting to express their investment preferences via uh, products, um, uh, sustainable products. And I think as well, if you think about, um, if you think about the intergenerational wealth transfer, if you think about regulation, if you think about the innovative products that are coming to market, I think that um, the, there'll be the, the the growth path for sustainable is a strong one
0: great thanks and last question nick um uk equities in specifically have have been so unpopular in recent years what are your thoughts on whether that sentiment is going to change
1: um wow well, uh, yeah so underloved underowned, and i guess well i was going to say undervalued but probably just like Valuations versus other markets um, make them uh, make UK equities look particularly uh, particularly kind of cheap on historical basis. Look, I think um, the first thing to say is that the UK stock market is not a reflection of the UK economy. Seventy percent of earnings of UK companies listed on the stock exchange come from outside of the UK. So that's one pe- one part to note. I think the second point is I think actually the FTSE 100 might have been the best performing developed market actually last year, uh, which I don't think people potentially would have uh, would have thought of. And look, there are the challenges that we face in the UK are are not you know are not um, you know are not dissimilar to those that are faced around the world. And you know, the central banks are having to walk this like tightrope of Having to manage inflation, you know, their mandate is inflation, and they cannot deviate from that mandate. But on the other hand, it is, you know, managing kind of destroying kind of your economy, creating a hard landing, driving into a recession, uh, and and look, those that tightrope is 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 being walked delicately by bankers across the world. I think, look, it's really important in the UK to be really selective um, because there's there's potential for really high levels of dispersion, you know, between differentiated businesses with structural growth opportunities um, and those that are kind of COVID beneficiaries that are yet to see kind of the full impact of post-normalization of earnings. So I think it is a case of being selective. There are some brilliant, there are some fantastic firms uh, listed here in the UK. I think in terms of flow, we don't see a lot. We don't see a lot of people buying UK equities today, but we don't see a lot of people selling UK equities today. So very much kind of a bit, a bit of a holding pattern. But there are still plenty of companies that are beneficiaries of of, of how parts of the macro environment will play out. Um, but dispersion of returns will be great and um and you know if if the market does fall into a recession we could demand pressure and revenues and cost inflation are going to are going to really affect margins so i would suggest selectivity key watch this space um but um yeah i think i think there's life in the uk market still
0: fab on that on that positive bombshell uh, we're going to end so thanks very much nick for taking the time to speak to us today and thank you for listening we'll be back next week